Welcome to the Mind Vine Podcast, where we challenge the stigma associated with mental illness through conversations about a variety of issues impacting mental health. Here we bring you news, views, and interviews that intrigue, educate, and celebrate recovery. Leading us on this journey are the hosts of the Mind Vine Podcast, Daryl Mathers and Chris Bovey. Welcome to the Mind Vine Podcast. My name is Daryl Mathers and I'm with my co-host, as usual, Chris Bovey. Chris, how are you? Good. How are you doing, Daryl? Yeah, good. Live from the COVID-19 studios here and uh, I'm in Oshawa and Chris is in, in Curtis. This is, I'm not sure how many how many episodes we've done now uh, virtually or if, through technology, but it's been three plus months of the pandemic and uh, a lot of interesting things happening in the world right now. And we're going to touch on a few of those things with our, uh, our next guest. Um, but one of the things that I think that's really neat is uh, we're going to have Jack Armstrong, Raptors broadcaster, uh, join us. It was about a year ago that Jack was here. And, you know, obviously it's nice that he remembered us and took our call. And uh, we have that relationship. But having people like Jack affiliated with our hospital, uh, affiliated with mental health and to some degree, it's really important for the work we're trying to do, eh, Chris? Yeah, I think, you know, it's people that have a, a platform and, and, you know, it's it's funny, you know, and we'll, we'll touch a little bit about what's going on, you know, in the States and around the world regarding um, racial inequality. But it's it's funny as sometimes people question whether athletes or people of influence should be the voice or talking about it, but but they have a platform. I know there's mixed feelings on it, but it's great you know, whether it's mental health or whatever, whatever the public discourse is, is to have somebody that has a platform that people respect and listen to and, and sort of drive the conversation. So that's great. Did we, by the way, did we get LA? Is that a new sponsor for finally for the podcast we have? <laughs> well, do we it's, have a, uh, you know, it's the one I advantage. The to, memo. Well, it's the one advantage to working in my basement is uh, I don't have to expose people to my, that's okay. It's just Parsley, I haven't got the hat yet. No. <laughs> Nobody sent me the hat. No sponsors. Yet, so it's in the mail. Okay, no sponsors. Fair right. Yeah, I'm in my basement. This is where. This is my home office. <laughs> so this is what you get. This is one advantage to being in a pandemic. But before we get to to Jack, uh, just a shout out to everybody on Ontario shores and healthcare workers everywhere for all they're doing uh, to keep everyone safe uh, during the pandemic and uh, from COVID nineteen. So. Thank you to Absolutely. everybody. Thank you to everybody that's uh, at our hospital who's also working remotely, doing the best they can, uh, finding new and innovative ways to, uh, to contribute on a, on a daily basis. So thank you to everybody uh, uh, at our hospital on, on that front. And we're now pleased uh, to be joined by uh, one of, well, I consider him a friend now because this is the second time he's appeared on one of our platforms. Um, Raptors broadcaster, Jack Armstrong. Jack, I think you're, we're going to need some adjustment with your camera there. Hold on. There, there you go. There you go. Perfect. Uh, there we go. All right. There we go. So, <laughs> roll, Raptors broadcaster who hasn't really done much in terms of basketball, I don't think, in the last three months. But uh, thanks for joining us, Jack. We really appreciate it. Oh, no problem, Daryl and Chris. Actually, I've done a lot of basketball. Uh, they've had us doing a lot of. You know, I've done a lot of Sports Center hits for TSN, and uh, I've done a lot of different shows for MLSE and different town hall speaking engagements and all that. So I've actually been pretty busy, So, uh, uh, which has been good uh, because uh, you, you want to stay busy during this time. And uh, uh, 
so nonetheless, uh, I'm, I'm hoping and uh, fingers crossed that we get back to basketball at the end of July and uh, all signs point in that direction if, if things uh, continue to progress. So aside from working and doing some of the creative things you've been doing on, the, on that front, what have you been doing to stay busy, stay healthy, and kind of manage uh, your health or your wellness in this kind of strange and unusual time? Well, I run every day. Um, actually, I ran this morning. Uh, we're taping here early. So, uh, no, I, I, I try to get up every morning um, and get out for a run. Uh, yesterday, I ran in the morning, and I played about two and a half hours of tennis last night. Uh, I've been out trying to get up this afternoon. I'm gonna, uh, late this afternoon, I'm going to play nine holes of golf uh, with a few buddies. And then we have a socially distant beer in the parking lot. <laughs> uh, and then you head home for dinner. Uh, but I, I've been trying to stay busy in that way. Um, and, and we also have a, a four-month-old puppy, a golden retriever. So uh, that keeps me really busy. My, uh, uh, my, once I get off this, I'll be running around. I uh, had her out earlier. and uh, So it's, it's, it's fun. It's busy uh, when you have a puppy around the house. Uh, but no, do it, doing uh, – Trying to keep, uh, I, I think it's important to get out and, 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 and exercise or walk. Uh, my wife walks a lot every day, and I've gone for walks with her. And, uh, uh, you know, and I just try to stay busy. Um, and I read a lot. I like to read. I find it relaxing, uh, calming. Uh, so here I am. I've, I'm getting through it. And now that the weather's changing, you can be outside a lot more. Last time we saw you, Jack, uh, you were just about to hop on a plane back to California. Um, I, just curious, were you, you know, going there, were you confident the Raptors were going to pull this off? And then I just, maybe you could explain what the feeling was like to be there live and, and through that championship. You know, it's interesting. Uh, Ontario Shores will always be part of my memory of, of winning an NBA championship. Uh, literally about 10 feet from me is the signed basketball you gave me uh, the day I spoke there. So, uh, you know, every time I see it, I think of uh, speaking at a, a beautiful place right on the lake and, and then getting in my car and going to the airport. And actually, it was funny, I had to speed to the airport because uh, I was able to hop on an earlier flight to San Francisco uh, that, that they were able to, there was like one seat left and they were like, well, can you make it? We'll, we'll hold the seat for you if you can make it. So I'm like, well, I'm going to make it. <laughs> <laughs> and I did, and I got on the plane and I would say half the, half the people, more than half of the people on the plane were huge Raptor fans. So I'm in like row 27B or something like that. People are like, wait a minute, you're the guy that's going to recall the game on TV tomorrow night? You're in row 27B? So I had people the whole plane, plane ride sending me glasses of wine back and all that. So from what I remember of the, of the trip, it was pretty good. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was amazing. Uh, to, yeah, I felt confident. I really did. That. You know how you, you wake up in the morning some days and you say, this is going to be my day? Well, those two days felt that way, like uh, speaking uh, at Ontario Shores and, and then that whole day of travel, getting out to the West Coast and just the positive vibes I was feeling. And then I landed in San Francisco that night and there's a beautiful like pink sunset. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Uh, 
and, and then the next day I got up uh, and, and got up real early and you have a bunch of radio shows and, uh, and you, know, you sit and do your game prep. And then I went out for a long run and it was just like, you just have that karma. You have that vibe. You have that mojo like, Hey, we're doing this tonight. And uh, so it was just, one of those things where even though the Raptors lost game five and everyone was disappointed, uh, I, I think there was a good, a good feeling uh, that, that, hey, man, you know, this team's good enough to do it, and they did. I'll never forget, like, just Kyle Lowry starting that game the way he did. I think it was eight – he scored the first eight points of the game. And up until then, I wasn't too confident. But then after he started like that, it's like, okay, maybe, you know, maybe this is going to happen. Um, when you think about your career and all the things you've done, coaching side and broadcasting, like, you know, not many people get a chance to, to come into an organization, you know, that early in its history and then, you know, watch it grow and been through some, you know, the high times with Vince Carter and then, you know, the, those other eras where um, maybe the uh, what, Andrea Bargnani era, which <laughs> maybe not as glorious. And then to see what, you know, the culmination of that last year, like, you put it in perspective, like what that meant to you from a professional perspective, like your, or maybe even from a personal perspective, because your your life is so intertwined with basketball. Well, you know, uh, I've been with the Raptors 22 years now, and the Raptors are in existence for 25, and it, it was kind of like almost a startup company uh, when I got there. I, I I was still coaching the first three years that they were in existence, and then when I got to the Raptors, it was still a, an organization in its infancy. So uh, I feel very fortunate to kind of uh, get on early with a startup company and grow with it. And uh, what do startup companies go through? Uh, some, you know, some, most of them have their shares of twists and turns and ups and downs and struggles. But ultimately, uh, the good ones find their footing and, and figure it out. And to me, I think that uh, was something that was really cool about the Raptors to see them hit their stride. And, so much credit belongs to, you know, Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster and their management group and uh, the coaching of, of Dwayne Casey and his staff and then Nick Nurse and his staff. And, uh, you know, and you look at, uh, you know, the, the, the tremendous ownership and leadership uh, from, you know, Larry Tannenbaum and Dale Lastman and the, and the folks at Bell and Rogers, their commitment, uh, you know, to win a title you got to be all in and committed financially and in every way, shape, or form. So, you know, there were all those things were there. Uh, and I think you learn some hard lessons along the way, how to do things, how not to do things. And I think, uh, it, you know, year, last year in year 24, uh, they were in that space where uh, they knew exactly how they wanted to go about it, and they did it. So, I mean, that was an epic time for Toronto. Following that, had you ever seen any of the Kawhi Leonard contract part where, you know, following people on the airport and all that? Have you ever seen anything like that, sort of the, the fervor around the contract signing? Before? You know, Chris, I was disappointed, obviously, uh, that Kawhi decided to go home. On the other hand, I respect the fact that he's from Southern California, grew up in Riverside, went to high college in San Diego, and his family is out there. And, you know, the opportunity to play uh, in L.A. was important to him uh, from a family perspective. And I respect that, you know. And Kawhi is a good guy. And Kawhi did a tremendous job for the Raptors in the year he was here. He delivered the goods. Uh, and he's an independent contractor. And he has the negotiated right to go where he wishes to play. 
so fine. And, and while he was here, he was a true blue, 100% professional in every way, shape, or form. So my hat's off to him. Uh, was it disappointing he left? Yeah. But I also found it, to your point, uh, very funny about the, you know, the helicopters flying over the motorcade and all that. To me, in a negative sense, because he left, uh, something really positive jumped out at me as well. Basketball is really, really a big deal now in Canada. Uh, you know, you saw that when the Raptors uh, on their great playoff run and, you know, in, in the finals. But you've seen it the last six years, and, and you'll see it again. Hopefully we have basketball again this summer. The people, that, people love the sport, and they love the Raptors. It's a national team. So to me, in that negative, uh, you got to find the positive. And the positive is – that uh, people love it. And the fact that they're willing to do that, it was almost like the O.J. Uh, car chase. <laughs> yeah, That's yeah, what exactly. it reminded me of yeah. in the white Bronco. And uh, so uh, to me, I, I, I look at it, it says to me that, hey, basketball is, is, is incredibly popular, and I'm, I'm proud to be part of that. Before we move on to maybe some other subjects, a guy on our team that Chris and I work with, he wanted us to ask you a question because he'd been having this debate. Who, you know, given the, even given his short time here, how would you compare Kawhi's uh, impact versus Vince Carter's? Well, Vince Carter, uh, you know, I, I, quite frankly, the, the Raptors, uh, the, Vancouver was, was already in trouble. Uh, when Vince Carter was drafted by the Raptors, and uh, the Raptors were in year four, and the Vancouver Grizzlies were in year four. And there was a lot of uh, naysayers saying, I don't know if the NBA is going to make it in Canada. So I, I, I think that uh, you look at the impact that Vince Carter had on the growth of the sport and the fact that Canada is number two in the world right now in representation in the NBA behind the United States. Uh, that's amazing. And where'd that come from? Well, you ask all those kids that are playing in the NBA right now, uh, whether directly or indirectly, uh, they were lured into the sport in a lot of ways by what Vince Carter did as a Raptor. Uh, a few years later, while Vince Carter was a member of the Raptors, the Vancouver Grizzlies unfortunately moved to Memphis. Uh, I call that one of the worst trades in history. Uh, you go from... Uh, you know, uh, Mickey Mantle to Mickey Mouse. Uh, I, I still can't understand why they're in Memphis. But uh, to me, uh, I think Vince Carter really uh, solidified Toronto and solidified Canada as a market. Even though it didn't work out well at the end where he left, basketball was here to stay. And, and then when you look at Kawhi, uh, Kawhi represents a championship. Uh, he was a hired gun. You know, you knew it when they traded for him. Maybe he'd stay, maybe he wouldn't. But the likelihood was he was a hired gun. And he delivered the goods. Uh, so to me, uh, I, I think in different ways they impacted the game. And I, I think we truly won't know his impact until maybe 10, 12, 14 years ago from now when you see kids, that, uh, young ladies that are playing in college basketball, the WNBA or young men who are playing college basketball or playing in the NBA or overseas or whatever, uh, the impact he made. But uh, there's no doubt in my mind both made a big one. 
Uh, two questions going forward, Jack. So I saw Adam Silver say that uh, players that don't go to Orlando won't be in breach of contract. I'm just wondering what maybe you, you expect when we reopen and, and start basketball again, what it might look like. And also, are, are, are teams better prepared to start from like right off the gate that are going to have a better opportunity? Like what, what's the makeup of a team that can go into the situation and hit the ground running? You know, I don't, I don't think any of us really know. Uh, I know as a former coach that the group I'd probably want is a mature one, smart, adaptable, ability to shift gears quickly, uh, deal with a lot of unusual things, because it's going to be something none of them have ever experienced before. Uh, so a, a kind of a level-headed group that doesn't get too high, too low, um, that has good professional habits, uh, that, you know, in a situation like that, it's not going to be overwhelmed by it. Um, you know, so that, that to me is probably going to be something. Uh, health is going to be a huge factor. Fitness, uh, all those things. And we don't know any of that. Uh, I think the games will get better as they keep playing. Uh, you know, in terms of Adam Silver, uh, I think they're going to do everything possible to make it as safe of an environment as you can possibly make it. I mean, they've consulted with the, the finest experts in the world. Uh, they're going to dot the I's and cross the T's. Will there be a few mistakes made? I'm sure there will be. Um, you know, none of us are perfect. Uh, but I, I do think there's good intent there. Uh, you know, is there an intent uh, for the love of the sport? Yeah. Is there an intent as well from a business perspective? Yeah, sure is, on both sides, not just the owners, but the players. Uh, you know, so I think there's an open dialogue between the Players Association and, and the, uh, the ownership group and Adam Silver. And, uh, you know, unlike Major League Baseball, I think uh, there's a, a relationship of respect. And uh, I think they'll work it out as best as they can. One of the things, in, certainly in Canada – during this pandemic that's been a focus or a topic of focus has been mental health and the impact of mental health during this pandemic on people whose have their lives turned upside down. And we look at professional athletes and we just think of them as these fine tuned machines that go out there and they produce and they, you know, they put up their stat lines and, and move on. But all the elements of restarting the season, being in isolation or in quarantine in one place, potentially being away from families, uh, not having, you know, um, whether it be those habits or uh, traditions or superstitions, like all those things, it's going to be, like you said, it's going to be really strange. Do you worry about the impact of these athletes at all and going through this and in a health crisis, you know, having to go and, and go to work? Well, uh I, I think they'll be in the finest of accommodations. They'll be in a five-star hotel, at the very least a four-star hotel. Uh, the, the challenge is, uh, and people sometimes forget, they go, oh, we're going to Orlando. Okay, well, going to Orlando maybe in March, you go, okay, that's a place I'd love to be. Orlando in August, uh, I'm not sure a lot of people sign up for that. Uh, it's hot, really hot. And it is a thunderstorm every afternoon. And, you know, you're not doing a lot outside. Well, guess what? You're going to be in the gym a lot. Okay, fine. And you're going to be in your hotel room. But, you know, unlike maybe the Vegas Summer League, where you're not going outdoors a lot in Vegas either in the summer, at the very least, 
There's all the other entertainment options. That doesn't exist in Orlando. Plus, you're going to be in a restricted environment. So I can see some of the concerns that players would have, particularly if you're going to be there, potentially if you're a, a truly contending team that could be there for three months. Uh, that could wear on you for a while. So in spite of the fact that people say, well, they're eating the best food and they're staying at the nicest place and this and that and the other thing, there will be some of those considerations in place. Uh, I, I, I respect the fact that the NBA does a good job with that as well. I think they, they're at the forefront of mental health. Uh, you know, teams all have um, someone who's, a, you know, a, a, obviously a team psychologist that's available and uh, I, I think they put that uh, they, they put that front and center, uh, not only physical health but mental health. And, and 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 as we know, that impacts performance. So just like a sprained ankle impacts performance, your mindset, more importantly than the sprained ankle, uh, impacts performance. And uh, you know, so to me, uh, it's very important. And I know teams. Teams understand that, respect that. So at the same time that we're talking about the pandemic, there's also this, this uh, public discourse about uh, racial inequality and what's going on we see in the States. And it's, it's, it's up in Canada, too. There's been a number of protests. I'm just curious from, a, you know, some of the players have talked about not wanting to play because of that, not just the pandemic. And, and Daryl and I talked a little bit about responsibility of athletes that are sort of bringing this to the attention of the masses and some people feeling that it's not a place for an athlete to talk about it. Just maybe you can provide your perspective on, on the role of athletes um, when it comes to social issues. Hey, look, I'm totally fine with it. Um, I, I, you know, the reality is they're paid to do a job and that's performed between the lines. And uh, if they're doing that to the best of their ability and performance to the best of their ability, what they do outside the lines is their own business. And if they choose to uh, take on social causes, I applaud it. I, I, I think it's great. Um, you know, I look at a guy like LeBron James, and I, I know he's definitely in the camp of um, basketball is an important part of my life. And the fact that I've had success in basketball has given me the opportunity to make an impact for others. And you look at what he's done, He's made a tremendous impact in our society, and he wants to play because I think he feels like that platform gives him a greater voice. Uh, many athletes say, well, no, that doesn't help. Well, I, I, I disagree with that. I agree with what LeBron James, uh, his viewpoint is, is that uh, I think if you don't have it, you become kind of John Q. Public, uh, where you're just – another guy in the crowd uh, holding up a sign or raising your voice. And that's good too. I'm, I'm totally fine with that. But if you're someone of influence uh, because of your role and your title, uh, you know, you raising that uh, sign and you raising your voice and having something to say maybe allows people to follow you and, and, and you can captivate them with your message. So, uh, Again, the most important thing for all these players is their health, physical, mental. Uh, and if, as long as that's being looked after, uh, I, I think the opportunity to express yourself uh, will be there in Orlando. Because I'm not an expert on social media and all this stuff, but I, I think you can tweet and do all that other stuff from anywhere in the world. 
and, and uh, you know, so to me, I, I think that the people will be watching and people will be listening. And uh, so to me, I, 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 that, that's my viewpoint. And I, I think actions speak louder than words. And I think LeBron James's actions off the court, to me, as a young man who grew up with, a, uh, uh, with no dad, with his mom, and uh, he's been a good son, he's been a good husband, he's been a good father, and he's been a good man in the community, and he's a heck of a player as well. With what's going on in the world, I wonder what your perspective is, uh, you know, given the protests and George Floyd and what's going on in Atlanta. People watching this and listening to this may not realize this, but you have three sons. Uh, they're, you know, you and your wife uh, adopted uh, three black boys. And you've talked a little bit about, you know, the dynamic in the past, the dynamic of your kind of unique family story and, and some of your experiences. But what we're going through today is unlike anything I've ever seen. Um, and so I wonder, as a as a father in, in your situation, how do you like how do you feel about what's going on in the world right now? Well, I pray every day about it. Uh, because you think every day, you reflect every day on it because. Uh, you're right. My situation is unique. I'm the father of three uh, African-American sons who are 23, 22, and 21. I've had the DWB talk with them driving while black. Uh, I've sat, we've covered a lot of topics. Uh, we've lived those topics in some way, shape, or form. Um, thankfully, in the community that we live in, uh, people kind of know my wife and I, and they know who our kids are, and uh, people have been very respectful, but I'm sure there are others that don't know who we are. Uh, there are others that under their breath maybe say something, so be it. Uh, but I think you got to push through that. Uh, and and to me, uh, it, it, it pains me to see it. Uh, our country's had this, this stuff for a few hundred years, the United States. It's disgraceful. Uh, bottom line, it's disgraceful. And uh, it's got to change. We have to find ways to listen to each other and find middle ground. Uh, there's a line I use, which I think speaks volumes about what is going on right now. Rules without relationships equal rebellion. Rules with relationships equal respect and results. So we need to build bridges we need to have relationships. We need to have common ground. Rather than black, white, we need gray. We need diplomacy. We need people to come together and, and hear, not only listen to what we say, but actually hear it. And not only hear it, but listen to it. And, and, and ponder and discern and kind of find different ways in a collaborative sense that we can come together that creates respect and that creates results. So uh, it has to be balance. And uh, I've just tried to say to my kids that be respectful of authority and treat others how you wanna be treated. At the same time, there are gonna be some things that happen to you that aren't fair and aren't right. And you, know, how, you, know, you, you gotta be able to react to it in a way uh, that uh, doesn't put you in a compromising position, you know, and at the same time, you maintain your integrity as a man. 
you know, and, and these are the same discussions I've had uh, when I was a coach. I mean, I look at the majority of the players that I recruited and coached in my time as a college coach. Uh, they were black. Uh, I look at my 22 years in the NBA. Uh, it's the same, in, in, you know, in terms of my interactions, which I'm very proud to be part of. So uh, I, I think there's an opportunity. Uh, and I heard Spike Lee recently. I think he was on Jimmy Kimmel, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, he was promoting a new movie that he has out about Vietnam. And uh, he was, you know, talking about what's going on. And uh, the one thing that really jumped off the page of me that he said was, as, as heartbroken as I am about this and how disgusting this is, and this continues to go on, I'm seeing so many white protesters out there and people of all different colors uh, supporting the Black Lives Matter movement, that people are coming together and saying uh, there has to be uh, a way uh, that we we come together and, and 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 make it happen, and you know, so so it's in you know, I, I always say sometimes life takes a wrong turn in the right direction, and the fact that we have had this pandemic and people are a little closer to home than they normally would be, and there's a few less distractions in terms of sports and concerts and all that. I think uh, it's given us more time to reflect and and. and see what's going on and therefore uh it gives us an opportunity to kind of look in the mirror and ponder and reflect on maybe where each and every one of us are at uh in in, in terms of relations with each other and how can i be better how can i improve how can i how can i uh walk to the other side of that bridge and and find a way so to me uh i i think moderation and finding a, a way of, 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 again, that gray, uh, that ability to understand each other uh, is important. I was going to say, Jack, and you kind of touched on it, does this feel different? I mean, when I look at, I don't know, about five years ago, Fenway Park would have come out and said, Tory Hunter's right, we've seen racism by fans, or NASCAR would have been banning the Confederate flag five years ago. I think this, it just feels different that, that people are finally coming forward whether it's, you know, people or organizations to say, yeah, this does exist and we need to fix it. I'm with you. You think if Colin Kaepernick played in the NBA, he, he wouldn't be working right now? Right. Come on. I, I think the, our league is very progressive. And I think Colin Kaepernick, somehow, some way, there would have been a discussion, uh, a middle ground found. Uh, maybe it's 30%, 70%, 40 60 50 50 55 45 whatever. But somehow, some way, there'd be a tremendous discourse and, 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 and discussion, and they try to figure out some way to accommodate. Um, you know, so to me, I agree with you. I, I can reflect uh, just a few months ago uh, driving by a house that uh, had a Confederate flag flying. Uh, that, I'm like, who lives in that house? What, 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 what's their story? Are they nuts? You know, you think about uh, Canadian soldiers and United States soldiers uh, and, and French and, and British, and, uh, you know, they go into Nazi Germany and, and uh, you know, liberate uh, Europe. And uh, do you think they, they would have 
allowed uh, the swastika to fly uh, in Germany? Are you kidding me? Uh, well, guess what? In the United States, the, the Confederate forces lost. Just like the German forces lost, when you lose, you don't have those rights anymore. So guess what? In the United States, you got one flag. Uh, I, 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 you know, and, and I don't see the swastika in Germany. I see a German flag now. It's not only it's not East Germany, West Germany anymore. It's Germany, and they're a peaceful country. And now they're an ally of Canada, and they're an ally of the United States. So why in this country uh, are we allowing uh, a Confederate flag to fly when they lost? They got their ass kicked. They lost. They no longer have that right. Uh, this is one flag, one country. And uh, I, I think that thing represents something that's bad. Well, it really feels like things are changing. Uh, our eyes have been opened. I don't know if things are changing. We're not maybe there yet, but certainly the conversations are changing. And I hope athletes uh, kind of take this opportunity. They, a lot of them have spoken up, uh, but keep keep doing it. Cause I've seen, you know, in this period of time, you've seen lots of different things on social media. And I saw a clip from Muhammad Ali from like 1974, I think it was, and talking about uh, racial issues. And it might as well have been filmed last week. You know, like the, you know, the, the issues that he was talking about, it's like, it's hard to believe that we're not there yet. I, I agree with you. At the, and, and we are. At the same time, I, I look at uh, the youth of today and what this pandemic has done. Uh, I look at the power of, of the emails and the internet and social media and, uh, you know, the, the coverage we have, uh, television, radio, print, uh, whatever it may be, uh, people are exposed to more. Uh, they're seeing all sides. And uh, now, are, are there times where people are too uh, hypersensitive and uh, offended way too easily? Yeah, there's a lot of that too. Uh, but I, I think that we have an opportunity here because it's been front and center. Uh, you know, you think about uh, all the different racial issues uh, over the years. There was so many other things going on in society at the same time it never got the, the true attention that I think it's getting now. Uh, and, and to me, I hope that the, the, this few week period uh, begins to move the needle a, a little bit in the direction where now our young people can say, no, we're not going back there. We're going to keep pushing the, we're going to keep getting, we're going to get into the, uh, we're going to get into the end zone. You know, we're going to keep pushing the fall down the field and drive it down the field, and we're getting a touchdown. Well, uh, this was a touchdown, this whole experience. Uh, Jack, uh, I know you have, to, you have to get going to, to another uh, obligation, but thanks for remembering us, answering our emails, and, uh, and joining us like, to talk about you know, basketball and all the other things going on in the world right now. It's, uh, it's quite enjoyable. So thank you, and, and all the best to you. Well, uh, thank you so much, uh, Chris and, and Daryl. And, and I have to make one statement before I leave. Uh, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. 
and there's only one Dodgers. Remember that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kept bugging him about that. that uh, 1955, Brooklyn Dodgers, okay? Jackie Robinson, Gil yep. Hodges, okay? All right, so remember that uh, there's one Dodgers, and then uh, Walter O'Malley shamefully uh, moved his team to Chavez Ravine. Uh, the one thing, though, I am a fan of the L.A. Dodgers because I'm a Fordham guy. Uh, I have my bachelor's and master's from Fordham University. And Vince Scully, who called oh. the Brooklyn Dodger games and then the Los Angeles Dodger games, is one of my all-time favorite broadcasters. The guy is just an iconic figure and a class act through and through. So uh, I'll give you that, Daryl, that <laughs> uh, the Dodgers have been Scully, but uh, – uh, but nonetheless, and by the way, uh, the Yankees did beat them in the World Series a few times. I think it was 77, 78. Mm. You, did, you did get us. I think it was 80 or 81. And on top of that, uh, I will give you credit, though. I, and I, I really believe this. I, and, and I'm saying that with, with incredible respect. <laughs> I, the team that when Kirk Gibson hit the home run against the Oakland A's, I think that might be – if you look at that roster, that might be the worst team to ever win a World Series. Yes. Uh, and, and, you know, Kirk Gibson gets, goes to the bat and hits that home run off of Eckersley. They win game one. He doesn't play again, but the A's were dominant. They were loaded, and they got beat because they were completely psyched out. And, and as we know, Oral Hershiser was just lights out that year in 88. So there's my baseball. Oh, there I you go. You know, so we're talking basketball. I'm probably as big, maybe a bigger baseball fan than I am a basketball fan. And by the way, what's going on in Major League Baseball right now is a complete and total. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Uh, they need to get. They need to get the. You know, we talk about mental health. They need to get their heads examined. <laughs> well, Ben Scully is uh, a treasure. I miss him greatly. Being able to listen to the ball, their ball games that. 11 o'clock at night or whatever on this coast. So I can talk about baseball all day. So maybe we'll do another one where we just talk baseball. <laughs> but anyways, uh, all the best, Jack. Really uh, thanks, Jack. appreciate your time and uh, stay safe. Guys, thanks so much. Peace. Thank you.